Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Andrew, just in case you've forgotten me. Uh, I've been gone for quite some time, and uh, it's great to be back. Give me one second. I'm just going to grab a couple other things back here. Uh, Stephen, I'll be careful, uh, but don't try to sit down when you come back up here. Well, uh, my family and I have been on vacation for the last three weeks. I uh, heard Stuart's messages, and uh, I saw pictures from the Family Fellowship Sunday, and uh, I'm just so glad you were well cared for. Um, There was good teaching that encouraged me as I listened back to those sermons, and uh, it just looked like a wonderful time of gathering out on the lawn. Uh, I was glad that uh, Mark Hoffman made a courageous call to say, yep, we're still doing it, and uh, that worked out well. So, Uh, Thanks for gathering in our absence and uh, just for hearing the word of the Lord, and it is great to be back. Uh, We were gone for three weeks. We had a lot of fun together. I just thought I'd give you a little taste of things we saw. We were on a great western tour, so uh, we went out through the Badlands and Mount Rushmore and then saw some friends in Idaho and then out to California, spent some time with family back around through the Grand Canyon. And, uh, you know, we just took a couple of selfies at this place. So here's Mount Rushmore. And then at the back end of our trip, the Grand Canyon. Um, and, and we saw a ton of things in between. Uh, in Yellowstone, we saw wildlife right up close. Um, so it was fun to just, you know, have a buffalo just kind of saunter through our campsite as we're getting ready for lunch at the picnic table. And, uh, you know, elk, huge elk are nibbling on the tent, you know, across the way. That was fun. They had small children. And uh, Riley saw one of their boys in the bathroom and he was like, I can't believe it. The elk was this close to our tent. I was like, no, man, he was munching on your tent. It was, I was worried about your tent. We saw some uh, different parts of the country, some different civilization. We uh, spent some time in Santa Barbara with family, and uh, that's just a beautiful city. But we saw some of God's beautiful creation in various places uh, on the West Coast, and it was just amazing. We <clears throat> enjoyed time with family and friends, so we saw a bunch of people along the way. Uh, to some of those, uh, Bill and Libby Buchanan. Libby was actually out east visiting family, but we had lunch with Bill, and uh, they say hi. And then uh, later in our trip, we had brunch with our mission partners, Dave and Andrea Hutchings, and uh, they say hi. And so we saw a lot of family and friends. Uh, We got to celebrate some special things, so uh, Aaron had a birthday while we were gone, and um, we tried to make that a special event, even though we're on this grand tour, and and then uh, really the timing of our trip coincided with Aaron's parents' 50th wedding anniversary, so we celebrated that, just that wonderful, momentous uh, occasion. We did some exploring for our kids' next steps, so Jesse's gearing up to head off to Denver Seminary, so we stopped in there and toured the campus and looked around and uh, got oriented there, and, uh, and somewhere along the way, we actually did sit on or beside some still waters, and um, that was fun. So I just want to say thank you. Uh, three weeks of vacation is a luxury. Three weeks of vacation all at once is just uh, a great blessing, so thank you all for that. Um, I've thanked Stuart. I'll probably do that again when he's here. And 
just for our staff team that covered so much, our elders that stepped into some situations while I was gone, Mark Barnes, who did a funeral for the first time, and I've just heard wonderful things about that service. And so thank you for letting us go, for stepping in and making that possible. Well, as we come back, we, we step back into uh, our series on our shared uh, member values. And so we're just walking through the seven values that we've put into our governing documents to say, this is how we want to live life together. This is how we want to pursue Christ together. And so we've, we've just been looking at affirmation and grace and humility. And, and today we'll step back into that, starting to look at trust for the month of July. And we'll continue on submission, maturity, unity as we keep going in this series uh, this morning, my, my hope is that as we step into this idea of trust, that, that we would realize that as we grow in trust in the Lord, we will grow to be more trustworthy and trusting of one another. So, so trust is this currency of all relationship. If we're going to have healthy relationships, we have to have some level of trust with one another. But where that starts from and how that gets fed into our lives is really with us growing in trust of the Lord. Now, when I hear that phrase, trust in the Lord, there's a couple of verses that jump to my mind. So I just thought a good place to start would be in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And and maybe these are a couple of verses that you've memorized in your life or that you've heard from time to time. Maybe you've read them in a devotional or you've seen them on a coffee cup. And I I just want to pull these two verses out within their context of verses 1 to 12 and, and, and just see how they instruct us, encourage us to put our trust in the Lord. So let's, um, let's read these couple of verses. We're, we're going to do it in the context, but let me just read verses 5 and 6 and remind you of them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. These are really good and encouraging words for us today. Let's just start with, well, what's the meaning of trust? How could we define this term? And there's a lot of definitions out there, so here's my best shot at bringing some of them together. Trust is a settled confidence in, reliance on, and surrendering to, based on position, reputation, and or consistency over time. So, so let me just break that out. A, a, a settled confidence. This is peace that comes no matter what. No matter our circumstances, we have this confidence that gives us peace and assurance no matter what we face. Reliance. It's this dependence on or this uh, really a dependability in this thing or person that we're trusting. Surrendering to. I I think this is part of trust that often gets left out. Faith and trust are very related words. They're connected words, but trust is actually the action of faith. It's actually responding to faith. So we can say we have faith in something, but if we're not going to surrender ourselves to it, if we're not going to willingly give ourselves over to that thing, then our trust is actually limited. 
So as in the picture that I started with, with father and son, the son has faith in his father, but he actually, to show trust, to live in trust, has to jump off the rock. Believing, trusting that his father's in the position and has the reputation and has consistently proven over time that he's going to catch him, that it's going to be okay. And so it is this settled confidence, this reliance on, this surrendering to, based on position. So, so think about position, like parent. Children trust their parents when they're very young. And, and, and so you can think of that in terms of a position. If somebody's in a position of authority, we might trust them simply because of their position, as a child would trust a parent. Maybe by reputation, when you hear, well, I went to see this world-renowned doctor and he gave me this advice, you might trust that advice because of the reputation of that doctor. That there's enough people in the world that have seen him, that have talked about his reliability, that you go, okay, by reputation, I will put my trust in this person. But all of that has to be borne out consistently over time. So we have this father and son picture. It's the picture that the first nine chapters of Proverbs use over and over and over again. The book of Proverbs is broken down into several segments, but that first chunk, chapters 1 to 9, is a father, a wise father, giving advice to his son. Now, I think we can assume that, that this wise father has demonstrated that, that he has the right position and the right reputation. He's been consistent over time, so he is trustworthy. But I think because it's in the inspired word of God, we can also hear this as the voice of our heavenly father to us. And so this father, he comes and he says, hey, put your trust in the Lord, that's such good advice. I'm, I'm glad that this father to his son, our heavenly father to us, doesn't tell us to put our trust in someone else first. It's imperative that first and foremost, we put our trust in the Lord. Here's what I know just in my own life as a dad. My position as father while that might have earned me some trust when my kids were very young, I know I've let all of my kids down at some point. And so my track record, even though it might be fairly good, there's some holes in it over time that have caused points and times and situations where, where there's just a question of trust. The trust that my kids have in me is not perfect. There's some doubt there. But that's not true of our Lord. Even my reputation, I think I have a pretty good reputation. I'm respected in our community and I'm respected by other pastors. But I know that I've let people down over time. And so even in that, in every human relationship, because we're not perfect, trust will constantly fluctuate. Our ability to trust one another has to be founded on something outside of ourselves so that we can grow to be more trustworthy and more trusting over time. That comes from 
trusting in the Lord. How can we evaluate the Lord's trust, trustworthiness? Well, the Father to the Son, in verse 1, he says this, My Son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Now, what we'll see in these verses, 1 through 12, is that we have two couplets before our core of verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. Now, we often don't memorize verses 7 and 8 when we memorize verses 5 and 6. I don't know why, um, because they're meant to be kept together. Those four verses in the center of this section are actually the core of the section. And, and these, these verses around it build into it and come out of it. And so these first couplets, these first two couplets, verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, tell us how we can evaluate the Lord's trustworthiness. Verses then 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 tell us the circumstances in which we can trust the Lord in. And so we build into our core that makes this statement and we come out of our core verses that make this statement that we can trust the Lord. But we have to ask, how do we know that he is trustworthy? So for the, the father says, hey, don't forget my teaching. So we know that the father is trustworthy because of his teaching. He, he goes on to say, but let your heart keep my commandments. That, that phrase often causes us to begin to interject ourselves in the equation. We go, oh, I haven't kept the Lord's commandments. I, I haven't been faithful to God this week. Therefore, I can't trust him. And so we start to impose our own untrustworthiness onto God. And, and yet that's not what this is saying. This isn't an admonition to be perfectly obedient. Though I think there are other places in Scripture that encourage that kind of obedience. But here, this word keep means to guard or protect or to hold close the commandments of God. Guard, protect, hold close the commandments of God. Now, throughout Scripture, God hasn't given his commands simply to impose rules and regulations on his people. God always gives his commands to reveal something about himself, to reveal something about his will, to reveal something about his ways. And so what the, what the father here in Proverbs is saying is, hey, take what I've revealed about myself, about my will, about my ways, and hold that close to your heart. Hold it close in a way that you're going to protect that truth in your heart. Keep believing what I've revealed. So how how do we know that God is trustworthy? We go to his word. We look at how he has used or revealed himself in his commandments. Well, what's God's first command in Scripture. Let there be light. That is a command he speaks into existence. He says, all right, light, come and show up. Let there be light. The first command in scripture. And it shows us that God reveals himself as creator. As creator, we know that he is in a position outside of time and space. 
He's in a position outside of all created things, and he needs nothing from them. That's called the aseity of God. As creator, he declares to us that I'm not influenced by all of these outward things because I created them. So he is consistent in his being, in his essence, always because he is creator. The, the scriptures call us, tell us that he's not only the creator of all things, but he's the ongoing ruler of all things. God is sovereign. And so God commands these things to happen. He oversees these things. He is commanding rulers. He is commanding events. He's commanding weather. He's commanding all of creation to do exactly what he desires. He's in perfect control. The Bible teaches us that God is all-present, all-knowing, all-powerful, that no one can thwart his will, resist him, and come out unscathed. Nobody can challenge God and win. In Psalm 115, the psalmist says, Our God is in the heavens, and he does all that he pleases. Paul picks up on that in Ephesians 1, and he says, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is sovereignly in control, and we see that from his commandments. So this father to his son says, hey, look at the commandments of God because they reveal something about who he is and his will and his ways, and hold those things close to your heart. Guard them, protect them. They reveal that he's creator They reveal that God is sovereign. His commands reveal that he is loving. He loves all his creation. But his commands are most specifically given to his people, to humankind, to those that are made in his image, to you and me. And he has gone to extreme lengths to communicate his love in his good commandments and especially in the work of salvation through Jesus Christ. The boldest commandment in the New Testament, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's a command that reveals something about who God is, His will for you and His ways. It reveals that He is this loving creator, sustainer, this loving king, this loving sovereign over you. It means that he desires relationship with you. He says, this is the way to me, believe in Jesus Christ. And that's clearly presented in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He loves us. And nothing can separate us from that love. His commands, we need to hold them dear. His commands also clearly reveal that God is holy. God is holy, which not only means that he's transcendent and glorious, but he is pure and without any sin or defilement. This is good news given the eternal nature of God. If we couldn't believe that he's pure, if we couldn't believe that he's without defilement or sin or, or error, that would be horrible. But God's awesome power and majesty is connected to his love 
and holiness. His love is pure and his judgments are flawless. No charge can be brought against him. Nothing can undo what he has done or declared to be just. God is holy. Not only that, but his commandments reveal that God is wise. That means he has the best goals and knows the best ways to get there. He is all wise. In Isaiah 55, we read, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways are my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We may not understand all that God does, but the scriptures reveal that he is wise, perfectly wise. So he's in this position of creator and sovereign. He has this reputation of loving, holy, wise. And we can trust him. God's commandments give us good evidence and support of his position and reputation. Now, um, I'm going to take the second half of each couplet because what the, what the father does then, he says, here's the benefits of trusting God. And yet, we're going to save those to the end. So his word, his commandments, reveal to us why he is trustworthy. Let's jump to the beginning of the second couplet, verse 3. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Don't, Don't let steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Don't don't be tricked by other things. Remember your experience with the Lord. So not only do we have his word and his commandments specifically revealing that he is trustworthy, but we have experience. Our experience and the experience of every saint throughout Scripture. So we can see the steadfast love of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord being played out in the lives of Abraham, of Moses, of David, the prophets, the apostles. We can go all the way through Scripture and we can see this thread of God's steadfast love and faithfulness. And if we were to share testimonies among ourselves, I know because I've heard stories. I've had conversations with most of you about how God has met you in various times and ways in your life. Where you go, yes, God is faithful, and I know his steadfast love. It is in that experience that God demonstrates his consistency over time. Generation after generation after generation after generation. So don't be fooled by anything else. Don't let his steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. It will carry you on if you'll hold it close. If you'll write it on the tablet of your heart, I think that's an internal piece. We have to get it into our hearts, not just into our heads, but we have to let it sink deep into who we are. And then to wear it like a necklace. Now, I don't know if this is like a necklace that you hide under your collar that, you know, you can't really see, but that's not typically how they wore jewelry in the Old Testament. It was an outward display and 
And so I think one of the ways that we keep a hold of God's steadfast love and faithfulness to us is we talk about it with one another. So we hide it in our hearts. We write it on the tablet of our hearts, but we also wear it as this prominent piece of jewelry in our lives to go look at what God has done with one another and with others in our lives where we're just celebrating that steadfast love and faithfulness of the Lord. And that carries us through, that again reminds us of his consistency over time so that these words, trust in the Lord, ring true in our hearts. God is trustworthy in his position, his reputation, and through consistency over time. So the question this morning is, will you trust him? And this is different than saying, well, I believe in him. Well, sure, I believe in God, in the God of the universe. I don't think things just happened. I believe there is a God. Or even, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have faith. And yet it hasn't changed how we live. So, do you trust him? The verses go on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. All right, so um, I have a couple of stools here. Uh, I needed two because um, what trust means is to fully rely on that object. Now, we're talking about the Lord We're talking about each other. We're talking about relationships. We're not talking about stools, but I hope that you'll indulge the illustration. Now, to trust this stool fully, I actually have to get everything off the ground, okay? Now I'm trusting in this stool fully. But oftentimes what we like to do is we just like to lean. Oh, yeah, I I trust in the Lord. But man, I could stand up if this, if this stool gets pulled out from under me. Or, or even, we, we like to prop. Oh, oh no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fully relying on the Lord, but I'll just rest my foot here. Lean not on your own understanding. That, that means that when we say we trust in the Lord, we have to fully surrender. To the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Again, I, I think we have a tendency to say, well, if only I could put my whole heart into this, if, if only I could do everything just right, and we make trusting in the Lord dependent on us. And it keeps us from deep relationship with the Lord. While trust is the action of faith, I believe this stool will hold me, and so I will act on that belief, and I will fully put my weight on the stool. While trust is the action of faith, it's really a passive action. It is a falling on or surrendering to. It's not something that we actively do. Rather, we passively do. We 
rest in the Lord. We allow everything in our lives to be supported by the Lord. We're so prone to lean even just a little bit on our own understanding. Now, we can begin to see how verses 7 and 8 need to stay connected to verses 5 and 6. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So that's like a a repetitious phrase of verse 6 where we just read, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Now we're going, okay, don't be wise in your own eyes. Don't even lean a little bit on something other than the Lord. But rather, turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Realize that the Lord is trustworthy. Realize that who he is and his will and his ways are the only way to go. And then turn away from anything that pulls at that. Remember how we talked about hold close, guard, and protect the commands of the Lord? Write them on your tablet and wear them on your neck. Anything that begins to pull at that, we're called to avoid. Anything that begins to beat at that door to go, hey, let me in, or to pick away at our protective structures as we're guarding the truth of God in our lives, we need to go, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with that. I'm going to avoid that. I'm going to turn away from that. And then we begin to flow into the rest of the passage. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There there are benefits to trusting the Lord. This is not just a one-way street where we go, okay, God, I guess you've proved yourself to be trustworthy, so I'll trust you. No, he gives us great promises when we trust, when we're willing to be confident in him and rely on him and fully surrender to him. There are great benefits. But before we get there, when can we trust in the Lord? Verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. That tells me times are good. Right? When, when, when you have enough money, when, when your crop is coming in good... When everything is going the way you think it should, trust in the Lord. Man, those are times when it's so easy to go, yeah, I'll just lean a little bit here. I must be doing something right because things are working out really well. Yeah, I'll I'll just lean a little bit more here. And, And we start to take our weight out of our trust in God. Because we go, I got this. Look at what I have. Isn't that great? But man, one evidence of trusting the Lord is when times are good, you're giving back. You're generous. So honor the Lord in your wealth and from the first fruits of your harvest. When things are going great, one of the ways you demonstrate trust in God is to be generous. Go, man, God, you're doing something through me. 
It's not for me. You're doing something through me, and I want to be part of that because I trust you. I trust you to supply all that I need because you're the creator. You are the sovereign. You're so loving and holy and wise that you've just blessed me. I'm going to pass that on. Trust in the Lord when times are good. Then let's jump down to verse 11. Again, the first part of this couplet. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. The Lord's discipline, that comes through hard times. Trust in the Lord when times are hard. Man, believing that he's using difficulty in your life to refine you as pure gold. And oftentimes, when, when life kind of gets hard, isn't that when we kind of go, hey, I can do this? Man, I don't know where God is right now. I'm going to rest on my own understanding. Isn't that when we lean on our own understanding? But the father to the son says, man, trust in the Lord all the time when times are good, when times are hard, because God has proven himself over and over and over and over to be trustworthy. Because he's shown himself to be the creator, the sovereign, loving, holy, wise. He has you. So stay there. Fully confident, fully reliant, fully surrendered. Because he's proven himself. Here's how he does that. Here's here's what he does in that for us. Here's the payoff of trusting in the Lord. Here's the benefit for us as we fully surrender to the Lord, as we order our lives, everything about our lives in good times and in bad, here's what happens. He makes straight our paths. Now, I... I memorized this in a different translation, but I appreciate how the ESV words it. He he doesn't say he's going to give us straight paths to walk on. He's just going to make them straight. Okay, that doesn't mean there's not going to be twists and turns in the road. He's not just going to give us this aisle to walk down. But in those moments, it's going to be clear. It's going to be straightforward. It's going to be easy to follow. When we're trusting in the Lord, it's easy to follow to follow. And straight paths, they lead us to length of days and years of life with peace. It doesn't matter how many twists and turns are in the road. If you know the right way to go, if he's made straight your path, if he's made it clear to you, oh man, peace. All the days you have and all the days to come, peace. Peace in this life, even when there's twists and turns in the road, and peace in the life to come when we're in his presence. And he grants favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now, those come from the first two couplets in in verse 2 and in verse 4. Those are the benefits of trusting in the Lord wholly, fully, completely. Now, I like that it says, favor and good success in the sight of God. God gets to define what that means. 
And as we live for him, he's able to give us favor in front of men, even if the way we're living seems foolish to them. And then he gives healing and refreshment. This is verse 10 and 12. Your barns and vats will be full. Now, this isn't about health, wealth, and prosperity. This is about your ability to be generous for God's glory. Trust him in the good times because what he wants to do is he wants to bless you to be a blessing. He wants to give to you so you can be generous. And then he wants deep relationship with you. As we trust in the Lord, we will experience peace in our days. We'll experience good success according to God's standard. We will experience abundance for us to be generous with. And we will experience depth in relationship, the delight of the Lord, both now and forevermore. The benefits are great. So here's my hope as we continue through the month of July. First and foremost, that we'll grow in our trust in the Lord. That we'll go, okay, I'll look at his commands. I'll I'll see what they reveal about who he is and his will and his ways. And I'm going to devote myself to that. I'm going to put my full weight on the Lord. And as we do this, we will grow in trustworthiness because we'll begin to look like Jesus. We'll begin to look more and more like our Savior who is trustworthy. We'll begin to be trustworthy and more trusting of one another. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your good word, your good commands. Thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in mighty ways and yet in in really attainable ways. Lord, we we can know you in what you've revealed. And Father, we can trust you because you've proved yourself over and over again. So Father, my prayer is that more fully, more wholly, we would put all of our weight on you. And that as we do, Father, that we would become more and more trustworthy people and more and more trusting people for one another. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.